0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Meyer. The year was 2016. Jill Soloway, receiving her Emmy Award on national television, made this statement. Topple the patriarchy. Topple the patriarchy. Two years later... The actress Natalie Portman put together her step-by-step guide on how to topple the patriarchy. Well, friends, that gives us the sense of the spirit of our secular age in the war against men. The war against manhood, the war against fatherhood, the war against everything masculine. And today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at answering the question is why society hates men. And why we need them. We're going to be gathering with our special guest here on the program in just a moment, hearing from him. But I want to go back to my book on the hearts of the fathers uh, from just five years ago. And here's what it says in moving from fatherhood, or pater, to patriarch. Fathers have been decidedly diminished and fatherhood derided. The church, through its mainline expressions, led the way in embracing the secularly redefined norms. The evangelical churches adopted their own version of the feminist values, replacing facts and genuine faith with feelings back in the 1970s. Individual feelings have replaced the Holy Spirit now, throughout the entire church. And God the Father is irreverently demeaned as relatively irrelevant, and so we elevate Mother Earth As the alternative, just a mean-spirited and dogmatic Old Testament God, he is relegated to the distant past who just doesn't quite understand our new and revised gospel message of good feelings and elevated self-esteem. So fathers and men now face an epic battle, and fatherhood is under massive assault. The media perpetually characterize men, and particularly fathers, as insignificant bumbling boys, while our churches perhaps somewhat unwittingly demasculize ministry. Men and fathers now struggle for meaningful identity, leaving our children largely estranged from an environment of genuine fatherhood. And the metrosexual model has redefined as desirable men as androgynous creatures sanitized of a masculine mind, transforming the yearning for biblical patriarchy into a cultural prison as virtual eunuchs. Again, I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. This conversation is always with ever-increasing <coughs> conviction, talk that transforms. And what do you think out there, my friends, men becoming virtual eunuchs, having their spiritual privy members cut off by a secular society that says, we don't need you anymore. Why? The War on Men. Our special guest today, Owen Strand, with his book, The War on Men, a great cover. And he asked the question, why does society hate them, that is men, and why do we need them? Owen, it's so good to have you on the program, my friend.
1: Thank you so much, Chuck. Thank you for
2: having me.
0: Well, we're in uh, what I would call desperate times uh, when men are derided and demeaned, the very ones that God said that he... Uh, ordained to lead families and uh, to lead nations and to lead his church and so on. It seems to me this is an open, direct, and notorious assault against manhood, period. What what say you?
1: Yeah, I agree. I fundamentally think that men are under fire today, and Satan, as you have already said, is trying to take down the cornerstone of the family as designed and given to us by God. Satan, I think, is aware that if he can take down the head of the home, the head of the wife, the man, the father, the husband, then he will successfully derail the entire project. And if you take down the family, of course, you significantly weaken the Church, and if you significantly weaken the Church, you set an entire country up uh, for decline. And that is what has happened today. So it's very significant, as I read Scripture and as I read culture, uh, to, to know that. Men are considered toxic today. That's the common phrasing of our age, Chuck, mm-hmm. that masculinity is toxic. And I fundamentally reject that uh, downplaying of men in their role and even that poisoning of the well with regard to the nature of boys and young men.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, this may be a little bit hard for you to believe because as I look at your picture, you're substantially younger than I. And, uh, I practiced law there in California for 20 years. I think you're a California boy, aren't you?
1: My wife is a California girl.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, in any event, before I practiced law for 20 years, I also taught public school uh, there during the uh, period of time in which American education was uh, experiencing a tsunami, uh, a, an emotional, mental uh political tsunami in which we were purposefully trained not to speak in terms of facts or beliefs, but rather to speak only in terms of feelings, that training metastasized then through the church, the evangelical church, so everything became a matter of feelings It was part of the training of the society, including our pastors and parachurch leaders and so on, to diminish the strength of manhood and cause us to think only in terms of feelings. Have you noticed that?
1: Yeah, I definitely have. And the reality of men is that many men struggle to put their feelings into words. In fact... That's what fathers have to help boys with. They have to draw out of their sons, at least in a good number of cases, uh, communication about how that boy is thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. But even as a father does that, that doesn't mean that a boy is ever supposed to become a girl or a woman and be very attuned to feelings in a feminine way. Boys are not supposed to become girls. Men are not supposed to become women. Our culture effectively wants that to happen. It is now making way for that to happen, of course, so-called at the level of identity with, air quotes, transgenderism. But it's also happening in terms of that call you just spoke of for men to be like women. If, If men would just be like women, our culture tells us all of our social problems would go away. And the opposite is the case, Chuck. We need men, by the grace of God, to be men, and we need women to be women. But yes, we're very much marching against the culture in what we confess.
0: Well, if, uh, as the the, uh, word goes, uh, that nature abhors a vacuum, if you remove masculine manhood, it's going to be replaced. And it's being replaced by feminine womanhood. So, we find this increasingly manifested in the war against Father God. The war against Father God is just an ultimate reflection of the war against man. And so the war against Father God is now being replaced by the exaltation of Mother Earth. That's the foundation even of the so-called environmentalism. It's all rooted in the toppling of patriarchy. We'll get back after this, friends. Our special guest, Owen Strand, with his book, The War on Men, It's a $30 hardbound book, great book, yours for $26 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. our special guest today, Owen Stran, with his book The War on Men. He says that the war on men is a war on civilization itself. And I agree. He says strong men are not toxic if they go away, evil men take their place, and weak men offer no resistance. The cultural elites cheering the decline of men are trying to erase God's design for half of the human race, the half that historically provides, protects, and leads for the good of others. It's terrible news for women also. So what will happen without men of courage and conviction? Who will be left to face down evil, to strengthen families, to build churches and bolster communities? If men are told they're not needed, they become lost men. They get frustrated, they lash out, they become angry men, or they lose their masculinity and embrace effeminacy and become soft men. And isn't that what we have been finding, Owen, as the divorce practice coming out of California, the no-fault divorce in 1968 that Ronald Reagan said was the worst thing he ever did in signing that bill? It spread throughout the church? It has demeaned the family, and at the root of it, it has destroyed masculinity, hasn't it?
1: It really has. We, we need to understand that the core institution that stabilizes everything in this world is marriage. And at the core of marriage in Genesis 2.24 is a man who leaves father and mother according to the design of God, mm-hmm. and as God blesses with a wife, holds fast to his wife. So that's actually the opposite of how our modern culture thinks about marriage. It basically thinks that women hold fast to men. It's the opposite in the Bible. It's that men hold fast to women. Mm-hmm. Now I don't mean I don't mean that when a marriage breaks down as tragically can happen that that's always a man's fault. That's not the argument I'm making. But I am saying we've lost sight of the man's role in forming a marriage and sustaining
0: a marriage. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. We've talked about that for 28 and a half years here on this program as we confront the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. And uh, we're, we're watching the progressive deterioration of society as God ordained it. Mm. Isn't this, uh, Owen, something that we would expect to happen? if indeed we're on the near edge of the second coming. And by the way, I'm not talking about a day or an hour prophecy. I'm talking about a season. What we're looking at right now at every single level is consistent with everything that both Jesus, the prophets, and the apostles foretold would happen immediately preceding the second coming. It seems to me this is all part of that.
1: Yeah, we definitely are seeing that the days are evil, And it feels to many of us, I think, commonly today, like things could scarcely get worse. It feels to us like America is in a desperate place. And so, yes, as you just said, I I have no idea where the hands of the clock actually are in terms of God's perfect providential timing. But I can say that if if we are indeed at the end of the age in terms of the, the actual timing, that would make sense to me um the thing the church has to do wherever specifically we are on the clock is is we have to not lose heart mm-hmm. we have to not abandon our post right we have to like sea captains of old as the waves got really turbulent lash ourselves to the mast hold fast and keep sharing the word and the gospel and just pray that the lord will use our efforts
0: you know oh and i have been uh, speaking to and discipling men For 50 years now Uh, that tells you a little bit about my age almost 50 years 45 years and uh, it began there in California even when I was practicing law uh, I was kind of known as uh, one who kind of toured Southern California and spoke uh, in churches and other situations I was the uh, president of the Christian Businessmen's Committee there in Pasadena California for five years, spoke there once a month for 10 years, and uh, have been, really had a heart for men and for fathers uh, over this entire period of time. And I believe that God has that same heart. And uh, he says, if I be a father, then where's my honor? He said that to Israel back in Malachi chapter 2. If I be a father, where is my honor? God has experienced exactly this same feeling that men are feeling today uh, from our culture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, And what we have seen in our culture, if you think about movies and entertainment for decades now, is the undermining of fathers and the presentation of fathers as if they are idiots and goofballs. And what we need to say as Christians who love the Word of God is that, yes, fathers sin, and fathers need to be humble and honest about their failing. No father is God the Father. And yet, we also need to recognize that we are called to a position of maturity and responsibility and accountability and nobility. And, and I, I pray that we can be part of a movement today. We will see young men understand that fathers are not outmoded, but fathers are desperately needed, and God loves to work through godly
0: fathers okay now you just mentioned godly fathers using that adjective we now have a foundation on which to catapult and build this into a positive direction it's not just decrying the darkness of the attack on fatherhood because there's a certain extent to which men have created this self-fulfilling prophecy men have defaulted now it's it's not just that the society is attacking men, but it's also on the other side of the coin that men have progressively defaulted in their leadership responsibilities, not only in the society, but in the families and in the church, to the point where it has been relatively welcome, uh, and not universally, but, but recognized that Christian leadership has actually devolved to women in the church today. Isn't it interesting that two prophets specifically said that when the society begins to collapse, women and children will rule over them? Are you aware of that?
1: It's so telling. Yes, Isaiah 3.12 speaks to what you just said, mm-hmm. and it shows us that God desires that men not only lead in the home and the church, but in a kind of less defined way in terms of role lead mm-hmm. out in the public square and right. if men are not willing to do that and godly men are not willing to do that then yes we are truly witnessing the decline of a society so we need christian men to stand up and speak up and find their courage in christ
0: well it was an ancient uh, philosopher gady who once said courage lost all lost courage lost all lost and it seems that we've lost our courage today uh, humankind. Uh, we have uh, exhibitions of that, examples of that, uh, that arise from time to time. But on the broad scope of things, we seem to have lost our courage. And if we don't have courage, I want to ask you very pointedly, Owen, how is a father going to lead his family to stand in the evil day when the mark of the beast begins to be paraded through society, which is coming very quickly, by the way. When that's happening, how is a father going to train his children, prepare his family to stand, and having done all to stand to stand, if he hasn't learned to stand himself? Yeah,
1: I think the connection between courage and manhood is unbreakable. Mm. Uh, as you're pointing out yeah. you think about first corinthians sixteen thirteen. you think about how paul coins a greek word andresesta which means act like men and he's saying that to a church and yeah. so the very conception of manhood found in the new testament is again so strongly linked with courage to be a man yeah. then is to stand against evil to be a man is to stand for what is good by the grace
0: of God. You must be quoting that uh, passage that in the King James says, quit you like men. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't mean quit. It means conduct yourself. (laughs) Get with it, guys. (laughs) Exactly right. Okay, now, you, you used again the adjective godly men. The question then is, we have to define our terms. What is a godly man? Because if we want men to be able to take, uh, resume leadership in our homes, in our our families, uh, in the church, in our communities, and so on, we need to understand what godly means. It doesn't mean you believe in God, because the devil believes in God, and he's not a godly man. So what does it mean?
1: It means that you are born again uh, by faith in Jesus Christ and upon repentance in the name of Jesus Christ.
0: And conducting yourself accordingly.
1: Yes. The (laughs) core of a godly man's life is the gospel. It's being born again. It's knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and not being destined for eternal wrath, but eternal life through the grace and everlasting love of God. And absolutely, uh, when a man is claimed by God, when a man is saved by God, that man is always called to a life of holiness that is powered by the spirit mm. in accordance with the word of god so a godly man is a saved man and a godly man is a man who is by god's grace walking in
0: godliness holiness without which no man shall see the lord isn't this fascinating now you and i are having an open conversation here two guys that have uh, god has put this uh, issue on our hearts because it's on his heart He's, it's on his heart big time. Now, here's how we know it's on his heart. Because in Malachi chapter 24, excuse me, chapter 4, he says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, in other words, the, what is called the day of the Lord, the final showing of Christ uh, that he brings uh, uh, discipline on the children of disobedience, before that day he will call the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. So we could rephrase that. He will call the hearts of men to manhood and their fatherhood responsibility, and the hearts of children, uh, particularly young boys, to become men, godly young men, and fathers in their own right.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's that's what we're trying to do with boys. We're not saying to boys, you know, you you better grow up and figure this out. We are called to help boys figure it out we are called a shepherd boys into manhood i'm coaching uh basketball right now for my son's home school team all right and i i've tried i've tried to make a point in talking with this group of saying to them hey guys um don't think of yourself as a little boy they're 12 years old mm-hmm. think of yourself as a young man
3: in the making and if, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah and if if you give them that kind of understanding uh, that doesn't automatically mean they're now going to live in a perfectly mature way. Of course not. But it does mean that you have shifted the way they think about themselves, and mm-hmm. you've oriented them to the future. And I think there's very little of that taking place today, Yeah, uh, and we've got to recover what you could call uh, future-oriented manhood.
0: Well, I think uh, there's a sense in which even our so-called men's groups in churches of which there are relatively few these days, uh, much to the lament of women. Uh, but even among those, the effort and the focus is not so much on how to become a godly man and father, but rather more like, uh, take me out of the ball game, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. There's, so much attention in our culture to recreational manhood, to having fun as a man. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy as a man today to lose yourself in lesser pursuits, and to take unserious things seriously, like sports, and to take serious things unseriously, yeah. like walk with God. Mm-hmm. And I just see that everywhere around uh, me, and in particular with younger men today.
0: So. Even within God's own house, masculinity has been redefined, not from God's viewpoint, but actually from a secular viewpoint.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. And that's what Satan is always trying to get people to do. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to define things not in terms of God's definition, but in terms of a fake counterfeit definition. We've seen this in recent years. A movement called wokeness. I wrote a book called Christianity and Wokeness two years ago (laughs) for the same publisher, Salem. And what you see with wokeness is it hijacks the term justice and redefines it,
3: and Mm -hmm. that's what
1: we're seeing today with manhood. There's a a corruption of numerous terms associated with manhood, and it has major effects.
0: Yeah. All right, friends. Again, uh, we're talking with uh, Owen Stran. His uh, wonderful book, The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them and Why We Need Them. It's a $30 hardbound book, but it's yours for $26 on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, PO BO Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage to handling. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. You know the phrase of coaches of years gone by, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Now, how are men today going to coach their sons spiritually, physically, emotionally, in any way? How are they going to do that when they have been emasculated and all turned into limp-wristed servants of whatever, but not of God? They're not going to be able to coach their sons. That when the going gets tough, the tough get going because they don't even know how to get tough. They're told they shouldn't be tough because that's toxic. You see the problem? And now the very word man, believe it or not, and manly is being systematically removed from America's vocabulary. Did you know that? You can't use manhood anymore. You have to use personhood.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. You can't speak of men in any kind of representative of humanity sense. And uh, I push back against that as I'm able in my writing. And what we need to recognize is that what is happening linguistically, verbally, as you're talking about, Mm -hmm. is exactly what is happening from the broader cultural picture, with men being erased, men being demeaned, women being platformed as that which society needs. But in truth, there's no competition between the sexes. God didn't make one sex or the other. Uh, We need both men and women. We need both men and women living for the glory of God, yeah.
0: That's exactly right. And we're called, it's not that one is better than the other. We have different roles that are God-given, and when those roles are distorted or removed, uh, we're in deep, deep trouble. There's a vacuum And it will be filled, and it will be filled by a counterfeit. I have a question for you, Owen. You have three kids, don't you? Yes, sir. And uh, what are their ages?
1: 15, 12, and 9.
0: All right. And uh, male, female, what?
1: Girl, boy, girl.
0: Girl, boy, girl. Okay. So you have two girls and one boy. Are they the same?
1: They definitely are not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to get them to become androgynous, uh, to merge into one another and be the same?
1: I most certainly am not. We we have made, my wife and I, numerous conscious decisions along those lines. Uh-huh. And even we, we can stand out in Christian circles in that respect, because uh, I'm not opposed to my girls playing sports, volleyball, or something like that. Sure. But our personal conviction would be we wouldn't want the girls to be in sports where their physical well-being is going to be seriously threatened. Yeah, Girls, for example, tear their ACLs at five times the rate uh, boys do Really high-contact sports. Does that make me a
0: a girl because I tore my ACL in climbing uh, a 14,000-foot peak there in California?
1: Well, I'll be honest with you. I'll put myself on record. I've torn both. Of my Achilles tendon, so clearly <laughs> men are not exempt from injury. But nonetheless, you do have to you do have to recognize that there is some creational design that yeah. you you must take into account here. Yeah. And the
0: Bible does say that man man human men are the stronger sex, doesn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it says that. Say that,
0: and it says that husbands are to treat their wives according to that knowledge.
1: Yeah, men are the stronger vessel by implication in 1 Peter 3, 1 mm-hmm. to 6. Women are the weaker vessel, which doesn't mean, as you were already talking about earlier, that women have lesser value. That's how our culture misreads differences right. in ability. Uh, it does mean that women are like fine china, and men need to handle them with care.
0: <laughs> That's pretty good. That is really good. Well, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> I like that. I, I'm sure my wife would like that, too. Uh, The interesting thing is, now, we've been married for uh, 58 years. And uh, so back all the way to 1966 uh, when the second Mustang came out. So that's a long time ago. But what we have learned over time, growing up as believers and together, uh, we've had to learn that, uh, indeed, uh, my wife is not the same as I am. And she has a completely different emotional makeup than I do. And there are times when she is much more prone to emotional decisions than I am. And so there has been, from time to time, I will tell my wife, and she understands it, and we laugh together. I'll say, I'm treating you according to knowledge, sweetheart. Well, that's exactly what the the Scripture says we're to do as men. We're to treat our wife according to knowledge. That's not demeaning. It's just recognizing we're different and we need the complementary strength of a husband in the midst of some uh, often tumultuous situations.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. We have to recognize as husbands that it's going to be a lifelong process to understand our wife in a First Peter 3-7 way. Uh, we try to study her. We try to learn her. Uh, we do so with tenderness and gentleness and love, uh, again, showing honor to her, as Peter says there mm-hmm. in that passage, as the weaker vessel. And that's a real challenge for a lot of us. That yeah. challenges us as men, just like it challenges women to submit to a man, but that's uh, the call of God, and that's where godliness is worked out, so much of it for many of us in that relationship.
0: Well, you know, some might say, well, the husband's responsibility, the man's responsibility is the greater responsibility in that he's called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's a pretty tall order because it's totally sacrificial. On the other hand, as I think about it, and my wife having to uh, live with me uh, and with whatever my idiosyncrasies might be from her viewpoint, uh, for her to submit to me over those years, uh, that's a tall order, too. That's a very tall order. Do you experience that well, living situation in your own home?
1: Yes, you're exactly right. It's not an easy situation on either end, and that's part of the curse of Genesis 3.
0: Oh, now you're going to go there. Okay, I wondered if we'd get there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now we're there. We're there. Yes. After, well, tell us about
0: after, that, because nobody really wants to talk about that.
1: No, it's very true. After the real historical fall of Adam and Eve
0: mm-hmm. in the
1: first verses of uh, first little chunk of Genesis three, God shows up on the scene in the Garden of Eden, and he 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 hands down the sentence that because of sin, original sin, mm-hmm. now the relationship between the husband and wife is going to be one of conflict. Now, what we need to say in in more positive terms from other scripture uh-huh. is that. We're not left in the darkness there, but the gospel enables us to live out this authority and submission relationship that we're talking about. And so the gospel restores
0: what Eden corrupts. Now, the interesting thing is that since Satan corrupts, when the scripture says that a wife is to submit herself to her husband as unto the Lord, the tendency in the flesh as defined in Genesis chapter 3, is for the wife to stand up against her husband and even try to lord it over him. Isn't that what the scripture says there in Genesis chapter 3?
1: That is, your desire will be for him, is what the Lord says to the woman. And so, yes, that means that the woman is going to try to usurp the man's leadership role, and it also means that the husband is going to not wield his authority in a gracious and loving sense as you see in that
0: passage. When that happens, when that tension develops, there is real tension in a marriage. There's real tension in a household when a wife uh, in the flesh begins to kind of lord it over and uh, the husband feels it. And how does a husband react to that then? In the, na- yeah, well, in the husband, natural, the husband resu- reacts uh, in the flesh, doesn't he?
1: He does, yes. There's all sorts of ways that men react. Men, um, men, when they are not respected, which is something that men desperately want, yes. they, they innately, instinctively want, when that's not in the marriage, uh, then the dynamics are not in a good place from the outset. And when a husband is not loving his wife, mm-hmm. in an Ephesians 5 sense, with a a tender, understanding love, then, uh, yeah, rest assured that that does not set things up for success. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need to forgive one another and love one another in a marriage relationship.
0: That is exactly right. So when we talk about manhood and we talk about the toxicity of uh, masculinity, it can be toxic. But from a Christian viewpoint, it's not limp-wristed. It's it's not the opposite of toxic. It is we become who God ordained us to be, strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, courageous, standing, uh, honoring, uh, loving, uh, encouraging, all of those things that God intended us to be. Isn't that right?
1: Yes, that's right. That's right. And And so that's why we need the grace of God above all else. It's so good to... Help boys and young men figure out practical questions. But the greatest need that every boy and every young man has is the gospel of grace. And when that gospel takes hold of a man and he's then trained, even in the home, ideally by a father, to honor women and treat them as the weaker vessel and look out for their good and protect them, when all that is in place, then marriages are set up at least to be stronger than they will if none of that is in place.
0: There you go. In other words, not perfect, but stronger than they would be. All right. Yes. Now, friends, as we've been chatting, I uh, have felt encouraged to make a special offer to you. Now, today we're interviewing, talking with uh, a new friend to this program, Owen Strand, uh with his book, The War on Men. A great hardbound book. $26 will put this uh, $30 book in your hands. As I've indicated... A number of years ago, I wrote a book, Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts. I don't believe there's been a book written like this book uh, because it's about how to build in men the vision for being a true and godly father and to disciple his sons and his daughters uh, in that fashion. It is also a hardbound book, a $23 book, but I'm going to make it available to you for just $10 today, if you get the war on men. If you get the war on men for $26, you will get Hearts of the Fathers for 10 Now, these are not duplicative. They're complementary to one another. And they not only set the pace for what's happening to men in the society and in the church, but now what can we do? How do we deal with this? How to become the men and fathers that God wants us to be? It'll be available if you call us one eight hundred save USA. We'll be right back.
2: Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Click Cell
0: Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. It's such a joy to be able to join you here day after day after day to confront the deepest issues of America's heart and home, and certainly this matter of manhood and uh, fatherhood are huge. And quite frankly, uh, Owen, when my book, Hearts of the Fathers, came out, guess what percentage of those books were purchased by women? Forty. Two-thirds. Oh, wow. Two-thirds. You know why? Because women, Christian women, are beside themselves and have been for 25, 30 years now. Why can't or won't my husband be the spiritual leader of our home? That's why. So men, unfortunately, are failing in our homes, our churches. And it's not just because of the assault on by the society, as, as tough as that is. It's because we're just failing. We're not being, we're, we don't have the vision for being the kind of godly men, husbands and fathers that he would have us to be. And so, uh, the enemy. Is coming in, filling up the gap with everything that's contra, and men are falling away. And, you know, when you look at how the uh, many people, particularly the secular word world and uh, so-called progressive Christianity, views Jesus, they view him as gentle Jesus, sweet and mild, with a little halo over his head, don't they? Thank gentle you. Jesus, sweet, sweet and mild. They don't view him as a real man.
1: Yeah, I fear that's all too often true. And with regard to Jesus' toughness, there's a real rejection of the idea that Jesus has come to stand against evil. And in a 1 John 3, 3, 8 sense, excuse me, Mm -hmm. destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared, John writes, 1 John 3, 8, was to destroy the works of the devil. So the Jesus who comes is not a meek and mild Jesus, though he is very kind and gentle in appropriate form in different contexts. The Jesus who comes to earth as truly God, truly man, is the Jesus who goes to battle against the devil as the greater David and wins our salvation on the battlefield, on the cross, Yeah, and then overcomes the devil through the resurrection. And that that was
0: not a limp-wristed man that did that. No, sir. And he didn't speak with a lisp. No, I mean, let's be real honest about it. That's the vision that people have. If you look at movies, for instance, oftentimes how Jesus is, is perceived and projected. He's perceived as this guy who is very very slim, very uh, unmasculine, and he speaks in soft terms never speaks boldly, never speaks as a real man. He's just demasculinized.
1: Yeah, I think that's had a major effect on the church. It's mm. caused many men to not really think that Jesus is worth following.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: that's not an excuse for our sin, but I do think there is a great deal lacking in the modern religious portrait of Jesus. The modern Jesus Sees Jesus as a kind of fairy wish-granter, and the biblical <laughs> Jesus is the one who goes to battle against the devil as the greater David.
0: Yeah, can you just imagine Jesus wielding his little magic wand with stars, you know, coming out of them? He's the he's the uh, the god fairy, and uh, it's it's just unfortunate that we have this projection of Jesus. And uh, if that were Jesus, then apparently people have never read Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus comes against the religious leaders of his day, and he calls them a bunch of white sepulchers full of dead men's bones. He didn't mince any words. There was no limp-wristedness, no no, uh, lisping. He comes out very, very straightly and addresses them like a real man, doesn't he?
1: Oh, he definitely does. He calls the Pharisees dogs and vipers at different points. And so Jesus speaks in these wonderfully clear tones.
3: (laughs) Wonderfully clear? (laughs)
1: Yeah. He doesn't sound like a postmodern professor droning on about concepts no one can understand. He puts things clearly. Mm -hmm. Uh, he He leads people to clarity. He communicates with precision and directness. And uh, he's a model for us in all of those respects.
0: Hillary Clinton, uh, not too long ago, declared that the future is feminine. What do you make of that?
1: Well, uh, the future is exactly 50% feminine in terms of birth rates, and it is also exactly 50% male. So um, Hillary Clinton, in fashioning or using that traditional Feminist slogan, I should say, is um, really trying to uh, read men out of the picture, as we've talked about already Mm -hmm. previously in this conversation. And uh, in saying that the future is female, it indicates to boys and men that, that, again, they do not have a leadership role. And that is the dead level opposite of what the Word of God teaches us.
0: The leaders of society today, sociologists and so on, observers, whether Christian or otherwise, have come to the conclusion that fatherlessness is the number one social issue facing the country, that all the statistics point to fatherlessness. Now, they're not talking about spiritual fathers. They're talking about just natural fathers in the home. When we look at that, as we look at the causation for what is happening here, it's not just liberal progressives coming against men and fathers. The number one cause of fatherlessness in our country today is divorce. The number two cause is unwed childbirth. Between those two, constitute 80-plus percent of fatherlessness in our country today. So let me ask you a question. If young boys are being left without the man in the home, the father in the home, and on the outside he's being demasculized, and the mothers oftentimes are doing the same in the home against their father, What would you expect the outcome to be for young men today in our society?
1: Well, young men and boys are not set up to succeed today. Our culture actively roots against them. Mm. There are numerous elements um, around us who cheer the decline and even the demise of men. People, in the simplest form, just have lost their compassion for men. And it's a tremendously sad reality, and it's wrong. It's a reality that we should stand against and reject, because we should care for every person, every image-bearer made by God himself. Men and women uh, need the grace of God. No one is beyond God's gospel reach. And so we dare to believe in men in an age that has tried to forget them.
0: If you knew, maybe you do, but if you knew that the divorce rate for the past 20 years in the Bible Belt of America had exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%, what would you conclude from that statistic alone as to the cause or to the major causes of the default of men and boys becoming men even in the church?
1: Yeah, well, we're looking at a societal disaster unfolding like a dumpster fire before us.
0: And the Church has embraced it. That's the problem. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, to a serious degree it has. Uh, Some of us have a category for, you know, a a divorce that has biblical grounds and a remarriage that has biblical grounds. But in embracing uh, secular no-fault divorce, as we talked about a little bit ago, Absolutely, a marriage is now not dependent on God's covenant, God's design. A marriage is now dependent on feelings, and here's the trouble with anything based in feelings, including mm-hmm. your identity. Your feelings shift, your feelings change; they don't hold steady. So, if even
0: you yours, your identity, even yours.
1: Yeah, if you ground your <laughs> identity and something like your marriage and your feelings, you are uh-huh. setting yourself and your loved ones up for absolute disaster in a feelings-driven culture in love. We have to reach out to fellow sinners, and we have to say, I understand that you're feelings-driven. I'm tempted that way myself at certain times, but there's a better way, and it's to ground yourself in God's truth and God's design.
0: So why is it, uh, Owen, that pastors all over this country will not refuse to speak to these issues? Are they also demasculized so that they cannot, uh, don't have the courage to speak and become true, manly, godly, spiritual leaders?
1: Well, I think there's a failure of courage, and I think also that many pastors know that they will not be applauded by the broader culture if they speak in the tones that we have tried to lay out.
0: All right, so they love the praises of man more than the praises of God. Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, I think that's a very common tendency,
0: yes. (laughs) All right, you're a very, very good spokesperson, uh, and I really appreciate uh, the fellowship that we've had here on the program today. You recently had an interview with uh, a secular podcaster used to be on Fox News, uh, Megan Kelly. Uh, i'm not sure that she's a true believer but uh, how did that go
1: yeah i really enjoyed talking with her uh, i don't i don't know her heart i don't know her to be an evangelical as i am but i, mm-hmm. I, I do know that she is an example of a lot of people out there mm-hmm. um of a thoughtful person who is seeing what is happening in our world. She's been a courageous voice on different matters. Yeah. And she's recognizing that something is very much amiss in America, and uh, she wants to speak up about it. And I'm I'm thankful for that and thankful for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Okay, friends, we're right at the end of the program here, and as I indicated a few minutes ago, uh, I'm going to make a special offer. Not only our guest's book, uh, uh, The War on Men, why society hates them or why we need them, which is a thirty-dollar hardbound book, yours for twenty-six dollars. But for those of you who get that book, I'm going to make available Hearts of the Fathers, leaving a legacy that lasts for only ten dollars. That's thirteen dollars off, or twelve. Yep, yeah, thirteen dollars off uh, the price of that book. And uh, so there's five dollars postage and handling for the first book, two dollars for the second book. And uh, there are two ways that you can get it because it's not listed that way on our website. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling for one book and an additional two for two books. Okay, uh, what would be your final word, Owen? Of encouragement to men today.
1: My final word would be wherever you are, in whatever straits you find yourself, because a lot of us men get hit. A lot of us men uh, face real challenges. Mm-hmm. Marriage doesn't always go the way you want it to. Your kids, your job, your life, your church. And I would just say, just hear this the culture wants to give up on you, but the grace of God will save and transform. Any man where he is, and uh, the prodigal son who goes far from God needs to know that God the Father loves to forgive. Uh, I, I pray that men hear that message.
0: Absolutely. Well, the Holy Spirit is drawing men, even this moment, uh, here on this radio program, and those that will hear it uh, reverberated through podcasts and uh, all over the world, and uh, friends. I urge you to listen very, very carefully, because what we've been talking about is the heart of God on the near edge of the second coming. We don't know the day or the hour, but we're in that season, and God, by his mercy and grace, is expressing this heart for you. Don't harden your heart today. Today, this is the first day of the rest of your life. May it be so to give glory to God thanks for joining us become a partner friends don't wait for the other guy to do it go to the website saveus.org make your generous gift that way give us a call 1-800-SAVE-USA and pray for men out there friends men we need them quit you stand up like men your friends. stand up